The Mindful Rebel podcast will be making some major moves this December at ContentCon. And if you're asking yourself what is ContentCon, I can tell you a little bit about that. The inaugural ContentCon festival is taking place December 6th through 9th in Baltimore, Maryland. ContentCon will be one of the largest gatherings of content creators, platform providers, and developers, particularly in the areas of esports, gaming, business, tech, music, fashion, beauty, and publishing, just to name a few. With over 200 plus live podcasts, including the Mind for Rebel podcast, 15 master classes, over 400 influencers participating, and more than 200 brands and companies present, ContentCon's goal is to drive the conversations and innovations around the future of content creation. So what does that mean? As a content creator, or as someone who's interested in becoming a content creator, you should be there. So right now, register at contentconfestival.com and use the registration code MindfulRebel to receive 20% off your registration. So go to contentconfestival.com and use the registration code MindfulRebel to receive 20% off your registration. As technology, access, and education evolve, there's a space for everyone to create content in their own voice. And with that said, I'll see you all at ContentCon in December. To my Mindful Rebels listening, you can catch me on October 6th speaking truth to power around the topic of turning passion into content at the APOD Connection Conference. And whether you're a novice podcaster or a pro, this event is definitely going to be for you. APOD Connection is a three-day conference filled with meet and greets, live shows, expert panels, and unlimited networking opportunities with podcast lovers just like you. The conference is October 5th through 7th in Atlanta, Georgia. Support this great movement. I'll be there sharing some great information, as will my fellow speakers and panelists. It's a really great lineup. So go to apodconnection.splashthat.com for more information. Again, that's apodconnection.splashthat.com for more information and also to copy tickets. I'll see you there. Welcome to the Mindful Rebel Podcast, the podcast where mindfulness and leadership intersect. In this episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Stacy McClam. Stacy is a recovering traumatized urban elementary teacher. Stacy taught for nine years between Washington, D.C., Japan, Denver, Kuwait, and Los Angeles. As a law school graduate, she hoped to work in education reform, but realized it took too long to change policy. Stacy is exploring opportunities to better serve students outside of the classroom by exposing the realities that occur inside the classroom involving mental health, childhood trauma, and teacher trauma. She published her first book, School Dismissed, Walking Away from Teaching, which tackled these topics from her lived experience. All right, well, on this week's episode of the Mindful Rebel podcast, I am excited to talk to Stacey McClam. Um, I think it's going to be a great conversation, educator to educator. Um, I, you know, I, the great thing about the podcast is I've been able to connect with folks through social media and seeing some of the great um, things that folks are doing, um, whether that's, you know, publishing books, whether that's creating um, different platforms, and to be able to reach out to folks and have conversations with them around the work that they're doing and the perspectives that they have has been a, one of the great pieces to the podcast. And Stacey, you're definitely one of the folks that, you know, I saw on IG and I was like, I'm going to reach out. And just see if she responds, and she happened to respond, so that's a great thing. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the best place to start, where I start most of the interviews, is really just to kind of get a foundation of where you are and what brought you up to this point. So if you could talk to me a little bit about your professional journey and what brought you to where you are in terms of publishing your first book, School Dismissed, Walking Away from Teaching. Okay, sure. So I am an educator um, at heart. I will always be an educator. Um, I am no longer a classroom teacher, however. 
Um, so I was a teacher for almost 10 years. I taught in, I started in Washington, D.C., uh, taught in Denver, most recently in Los Angeles County, and also abroad in Japan and Kuwait. Um, and I noticed over it, teaching in the U.S., um, a pattern at all the schools that I was at of, and I worked at challenging schools. So I was at Title I schools. Um, and a lot of the kids had a childhood trauma that I noticed. Um, but I wasn't calling it trauma at that time. I just knew they had a lot of behavior issues. And so it, it affected me as the teacher as well, because I did not have coping skills to help the students and the schools did not have enough resources with behavior therapists or counselors to actually help the students. So it I'm learning now is called vicarious trauma or teacher trauma, compassion fatigue, where the caregiver takes on the experiences of the kids. And so um, I just got burn, burned out basically with the teaching profession. I taught elementary also first grade through fourth grade. And most people don't think that kids that young have these issues. And so um, my journey to become an educator goes back to when I was a little kid, um, six years old, I was bused from my neighborhood to a neighborhood, um, a white neighborhood outside of my community. So I was raised um, in an area of Los Angeles County, a black middle-class neighborhood. And so you would think that the schools would be uh, would have been good, but they were not. And so my aunt was a teacher and she told my mom, you need to get Stacy into a magnet school, um, which is what they call the gifted programs out here um, in Los Angeles. And uh, because at that time, test scores were reported in the school newspaper. And so my aunt said, the schools in, you know, your neighborhood are not good. You need to put Stacy in um, a better school. So I was bused from first grade all the way up to 11th grade outside of my community. And that had a tremendous, tremendous impact on me. Um, just knowing that I didn't uh, go to school with kids in my neighborhood that I played with, I didn't understand why, but I did know that the schools that I was going to were um, better. I knew the rigor was a lot, you know, more intense, even at a very young age. So elementary was fine. And then when I went to middle and high school, I noticed tracking, um, first of all, because I was in the magnet, which was mostly white and Asian students. And in the magnet, there were three tracks. So you had advanced placement, honors advanced, and then the regular, um, say, English class. And so I was always very cognizant of inequalities in education. And it made me want to be a teacher. That's one reason. Um, another reason is because um, I had a high school counselor and um, teacher who discouraged me. So it was kind of odd that I got so much encouragement at home, but then at school, I was not encouraged to take um, AP classes, even though my grades were fine. The uh, teacher never recommended me. Um, and there were other students who um, did not have as high grades and they you know, were recommended for certain AP classes. Um, the counselor left messages on my answer machine, just very negative um, messages telling me not to apply to certain schools. And so I didn't want to be that type of educator. I wanted to actually encourage kids. So that was another reason. 
Um, a third reason is I, um, my grandmother was a teacher. And so she was teaching in segregated Virginia. And as a little girl, I remember my mother always saying how her family was so privileged just because of the fact that her uh, mother was a teacher. And so I always thought in my head that teaching was such an honorable profession. And, you know, just I knew that people in the community looked up to my grandmother for the sheer fact alone that she was a teacher and what that could do for the black community, especially at that time. And so, yeah, I set off to be a teacher. I started in Washington, D.C. at a very rough school. And um, I had I left the following year and went to Japan. I was like, I can't deal with this. Um, and it's not so much, it is the kids, but it's not, and it's beyond classroom management too. A lot of these kids have issues that are beyond classroom management. They need um, therapy, mental health, um, psychology type uh, tr training is what teachers need that we weren't given, that we aren't given. And a lot of professional development for teachers is not aimed, you know, towards trauma. A lot of organizations now are talking about trauma-informed classrooms in some districts, but not to the extent that I think is needed. So um, basically, I over the years, you know, my heart was in it, and it still is. But in the classroom, I just feel there's so many constraints institutional constraints and me not seeing the kind of progress that I think um, I, I need to see. So I had to exit the classroom. It was literally draining my life. <laughs> like I felt like I was walking around dead. Wow. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, from, from my perspective, I'm in currently in, in higher ed. And so you know, not necessarily even on the academic side, but on the student affairs side. And I can understand, mm -hmm. you know, I can empathize a lot with what you're talking about, even in terms of us having like in a holistic embrace on students and making sure that students are successful. But, you know, I don't always think that the, the emphasis is put on, you know, the other factors that can cause students not to be successful, right? We think about study skills, we think about, you know, what the facilities look like, but are we dealing with what the student is walking into the classroom with or walking on campus with? And oftentimes those factors are things that are what really are the, the factors that hinder them from being successful. So I can definitely understand what that, that feels like and how, that can kind of be transferred onto you um, mm -hmm. in, in a lot of regards, especially if you are the type of educator who, you know, is very hands-on, really wants to work with students and is, is, is putting in those hours to have that kind of interaction with students. Right, right. And a lot of teachers go through it, but they, one, I don't think realize that it's a problem. It's just become normal. Um, and two, uh, yeah, I think they just think it's part of the job, like teaching is stressful. So, um, you know, I'll just deal with it kind of thing or wait for the weekend, which <laughs> uh, it <laughs> it's not enough. Like I couldn't shake it. And, it, you know, it's a lot of the caregiving profession. So, so nurses, social workers, um, I would imagine even police officers, a lot of professions, I think, deal with um, taking on the stress, trauma of the people that you are serving. So in your experience, I guess, at what point did you, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there's research behind, you know, this idea of this kind of transference of trauma between, you know, folks that are, are, that you're interacting with. At what point did you say like, 
hey, like, I need to, for my own sanity, I need to put a name to what this is. Like, how did you um, kind of name what this feeling that you were getting as you were involved in kind of the educational system? Um, it was actually the last three months started doing research. Um, so I resigned at the end of the school year in June. Um, during the school year, I was more, I, I did, I wasn't aware of this. So I, during the school year, I was more trying to do research on what I could do to help the kids, like me re researching childhood trauma and different mental health disorders, but not what, how to take care of myself. So, um, yeah, I just started Googling um, this summer, and as I was writing the book, trying to figure out a name for this, um, I went to a conference in May, and I met a social worker who was a former teacher, and she introduced to me um, the idea of vicarious trauma. She has a book called um, Something About Compassion Fatigue, and so um, that was my first realization that you know this did have a name and yeah um it's it there's a, a lot of research out there i had no idea mm. and i'm just i'm, I'm taking note because i'm i'm like this is i didn't know that this had a name so that's one of the things that i'm like for me i'm, I'm thinking about it and i i see that you know, I think whether it's P through 12 or whether it's higher ed, you see a lot of folks um, get burnt mm -hmm. out. Um, and and to, to understand that there's research and there's a name behind it, I, I see it. You know, I, I see that, you know, what this actually is. And it's, it's, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of a contemplative state just in, just in terms of thinking about this. Right. And you being in higher education, well, the students that you work with have already matriculated through the K-12 system. So they already... Um, I won't say have been brainwashed, but, you know, have been acculturated to a certain type of system, whether it worked for them or didn't. It, some would say it may have worked because they made it to college, but uh, not necessarily. And so uh, if they had issues, say, you know, K through 12, those don't just go away either. They're older, but their experiences, you know, in the undergraduate institution can affect their well the trauma that they've had can affect their study skills and them not being able to receive the information at at college and you know not being able to do well so it leads to perhaps dropouts for the students so it's an issue that i think all schools uh k through higher ed need to be more cognizant about so, I, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, at the end of the school year, you, you decided to trans transition out from your position um, as a teacher. Why talk about this in the format? Why, why was it important for you to deliver, you know, your story, your message um, in the form of a book? Um, it was actually therapy for me. I wrote it for myself. I could not deal with it. And I uh, should have been going to therapy while I was teaching. Um, I did at my former, the school before the last school I was at, but not the most recent school. And I should have been, um, but I wasn't. And so after, during the summer, um, I started to go to therapy. And But actually, before I even started going to therapy, I 
just felt I just felt like I had to get it out. So I knew that if I wrote, I that was my way of getting it out. Like there was no logical reason behind it. I'm not a writer necessarily. I don't write. Uh, but this summer I did just because I had to get it off my chest. Like it was just eating me alive. So I just started typing um, about my experience and why I was leaving the profession that, you know, I've loved so much, but I just, I feel like it was a wake up call for me also that I need to transition and um, that there's a different calling for me personally of what I'm supposed to do in the education field. So that um, was helpful, but scary. (laughs) And I'm going to ask you, you know, with that, you know, the fact that you've been so transparent in terms of talking about your experience um, so far, what has the reception been like um, around the book and, you know, your story um, and your, your lived experience and as an educator? Um, I definitely have gotten a lot of um, positive feedback from teachers. They understand the story, um, whether they teach at an urban school or suburban school. I think a lot of teachers, teachers, I think uh, good teachers um, kind of give so much of themselves to the students unconsciously or consciously, but they sometimes unfortunately tend to um, sacrifice themselves and not take care of themselves and so I I think it's a theme that all teachers can relate to um, and actually you know people in certain professions can also relate that um, you have to be aware of of how you're changing and how you have to, I guess, put up boundaries. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what what needs to be done. No, that's real. And you're working through it. Like, you know, that's it's mm-hmm. that's one of the things I think is great is that that for this to be something that's so close right now, even if you think about it in terms of proximity from, you know, you stepping away from the profession, it's it's admirable that you're even transparently walk, walking and working through it. Um, that I think it's it's I'm pretty sure you're affecting more people than they realize uh, folks who are really like taking heed to your message um, about what it looks like to, to kind of take this on and how it's really affecting them. Cause that, like I said, even through our entire conversation. So I've really been thinking like, wow, like I, this is the feeling that I feel sometimes in the work that I do in terms of, you know, taking that on. And and it's hard, even when you think about in, in in terms of energy, it's hard for there not to be a transference of energy when you, in terms of working with very closely with people, especially like you mentioned, like, you know, good teachers, good educators, um, who give a lot of themselves, there's going to be some transference of energy and what that looks like. And, you know, working with students, you're taking on, you know, years of, of, of kind of built in, uh, issues that they kind of dealt with compartmentalized um, and, and, and are manifesting in different ways. You're taking that in as you're working with them. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's commendable for you to be at a place where you're talking about this. It's such a vulnerable, uh, vulnerable topic. <laughs> Thank you. But it is, um, you know, it's not traditional, I guess it's not, um, there's no plan necessarily. So, one of the chapters in my book is actually what 
what do I do next? Like, that's the dilemma. What am I supposed to be doing? Um, it, I also went to law school in between teaching. And I went to law school with the hopes of using education reform, using the law for education reform. Um, but after I graduated, I felt like the law wasn't, um, it didn't move fast enough for me. Um, I didn't, I like what the law can do, but not the actual practice of the law, I guess. And still, it, it's not fast enough for me to make the changes that I want to see. So, um, yeah, it's, again, what what do I do? <laughs> like, I don't know. You it, Even it makes me think of the title of my book, School Dismissed. In some ways, now I'm thinking that I may have an issue with just the whole institution of schooling. It's made me question my philosophy of education and what I learned, how I learned to be a teacher and what I was giving my students um, unconsciously or consciously. Just, you know, even with the common core standards these days, I don't necessarily agree with them and feel like they help the students. So how can I be a teacher and teach in the system and not be of the system? It's a, it's a difficult thing to do. And I don't know how some people are able to do that. Yeah. So, so I think with that, I guess one of the questions I would ask in, in terms of your, your journey as an author. So like, what has the writing process, you know, I know that you've been really transparent about your story and what that, that means to you. And this has been therapy for you, but what, what has the writing process, I guess, taught you about yourself in terms of, um, you know, even as a, as an entrepreneur, we think about, you know, um, selling your books and, and, and navigating that kind of arena. What has that kind of taught you about yourself? Um, it's, taught me that I have a voice. Um, it's shown me, the writing has shown me myself, actually. Um, so that's why I said before the therapy piece, it's me showing me, myself to myself um, in ways that were revealing to me. Um, cause, because when you start writing, you put thoughts that you weren't aware that you have had necessarily and so I exposed myself to those um and I mean initially I was when I was writing I didn't want to say certain things I was a bit hesitant and you know it just got to the point where I, I just felt that I needed to share more be more more vulnerable because the truth um you know, sets people free and sets me free. So um, it was hard, I guess, in the writing process to be myself and to write authentically. Um, you know, even if I'm in the room by myself, it you just question how will I be perceived? What will other teachers say? Maybe they'll say, oh, well, she just wasn't a good teacher. She couldn't control the class. Um, you know, whatever reason they have as to why uh, I got burned out or couldn't deal with the kids' trauma. Um, so those kind of issues, thinking about other people crossed my mind as when I was writing the book, and it got to the point where I 
just realize I can't worry about other people. This is my story. I'm not speaking to all teachers. All teachers don't have the same issues as me. This is just my story. I'm one person and I'm just sharing my story. But I do know a lot of teachers go through this issue. And I know that a lot of schools have kids that have a lot of trauma and it needs to be talked about and addressed. So with that, you know, we talked about your the, the medium of, of you delivering your message through, you know, your book, School Dismissed, um, but you also have a show, uh, Teacher Talks. Can you talk to me about that and a little bit about what that process of developing that show and, like, why deliver your message through that medium as well? Sure. So um, I co-host a show with Beverly Black on the Tribe Family Channel, and it's... Um, we talk about secondary traumatic stress. So this is the vicarious trauma that I'm talking to you about, um, otherwise known as compassion fatigue, the teacher trauma. Um, but it's a focus of the show, but that's not all we talk about. Um, each each uh, episode, we take a specific issue of secondary traumatic stress. So whether it's psychological, physical, cognitive, there's a different focus each episode. And uh, last week, we actually had Senator Barbara A. Robinson from Maryland, um, 40th District in Baltimore, uh, on the show. Yes, and she... I'm from Baltimore. (laughs) Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and she spoke about her upbringing and how she got started in the game late. Um, She had... uh, just why, quite a challenging life prior to um, her becoming a senator. And she started late at um, over 40. And so she talked about her upbringing, her challenges, but also being one of the oldest and most ex- inexperienced, but still having the resilience to continue. It took her a very long time to get her college degree, but she persevered. So she was amazing. Um, but we talk about, we just started the show. So there have only been three episodes. Um, but we hope to have different guests sometimes and other times it'll just be Beverly black and myself talking about education issues. (laughs) So one thing I'll say in general, Okay. One thing I'd like to, I guess, ask in terms of like, you know, your experience that you've had and, you know, your journey with with teacher talks, your journey with school dismissed, um, in terms of like talking, like if you were in a space to talk to, you know, future educators or up and coming educators, um, what advice would you give them around dealing with, you know, this, this whole idea or concept of vicarious trauma or secondary traumatic stress. Uh, what advice would you give to folks entering in, um, you know, as a teacher, as, as an educator um, into the system and how, you know, to navigate that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough. I, I want to say listen, meaning listen to the the kids listen to what they're not saying because their behaviors show you what the kid is acting out extreme acting out and and that's another thing the kids that i've worked with it's not just regular little fights like these kids are very angry and so you have to be aware 
and, and listen to what are they saying, like what happened. You have to know what happened. Like you can't teach as a teacher um, if that kid is um, terrorizing the class and there's more than one kid that has an issue in many of these um, schools, there are multiple kids in the same classroom. So you have to learn the kids and listen to what they're not saying. You um, need to be in contact with parents, but of course don't always call for negative reasons. But even before the school year starts, you want the parents on your side and for them to really believe that you're a part of the team and that you're not, um, if you say something to the parent about the kid's behavior, that you're not attacking the parent, you're not judging the parent. I'm just informing you parents so that you and I can work together to help your kid. You want the parent to know that you have their best interest and their kid's best interest at heart and that you are not judging them or their so parent involvement, I think, would be key to tell a new teacher, um, the listening aspect, and then being vocal, talking to your principals, uh, talking to the other teachers, telling the other teachers uh, the problems that you're having. Uh, whether you're a new teacher or a veteran teacher, um, you can always learn to talk about the struggles that you're having in the classroom and not feel bad or feel that you should know because you know different kids have different issues and maybe it's your first time dealing with a kid that has had that certain type of issue so um, it's helpful to work in a team and to have a safe place to discuss with your colleagues so being open to discussing I think and so one of the things I want to dive into, because I know you, you know, in this, you're talking about a lot about like taking care of self when you're in these spaces of dealing with, you know, vicarious trauma or compassion fatigue and, and developing what that sense of self is. And so I would like to ask, you know, in terms of looking at definitions for some of these things, how would you define mindfulness and, and maybe its importance? Hmm. Um, I would define it as being in tune with yourself and what your purpose is. And, you know, we hear that word thrown around a lot, purpose, but you have a voice inside you that you're supposed to be doing something. And it's always in the back of your head. And Oprah talks about this in one of her super soul videos, um, about you needing to find and not that you have to find your purpose because you probably already have it. And if you think back to when you're, when you were young, like when I used to hear this, I used to think, well, no, I don't know my purpose. I don't, I don't know. Like people say that, but I, I, I don't know what mine is, but I think mindfulness is finally maybe letting go of, what you think it's supposed to be and what it really is, because it might not be what, you know, society thinks or what you went to school for. You, you know, need to think about what's always on your mind. So being in tune with yourself is how I would define my mindfulness. And so with that, you know, and, and thinking about this and, and a lot of the context concepts you talk about, um, particularly around the type of trauma, I think is also important in the context of leadership too, in some capacities. And so for you, how would you define leadership? Yeah, leadership, um, I would say is 
also speaking up and bringing awareness to issues that keep you up at night. So it could be things around justice. It could be, I don't know, whatever else, but there's something that you want to speak up about or that you have ideas about. And I think you need to, when I say speak up, it doesn't have to be vocal. It can be writing. It can be um, filmmaking. But I feel like people should get their voice out. You have to speak up because if you're a leader, um, you're not following the status quo necessarily. And so you have to think outside of the box and leaders speak up. They say what other people are thinking, but don't act on. And if you don't have a leader to speak up, how will people know that things aren't right or aren't just people unless you speak up that's when people realize oh we need to change this here oh they're not happy with this yeah because someone spoke up about it and they kept speaking up until they were heard and changes were made so and you know i I like to ask this is a one question that's kind of been a theme through all the podcast episodes that i love to ask um and Mm -hmm. and this is what i'm interested in hearing your thoughts on too you know what does success look like for you? Success means being heard, being successful with being heard. So putting yourself out there. Um, it's, for example, with my book, it wasn't about me making, selling a lot of books. You know, that wasn't my goal. Um, I knew that wasn't going to happen anyway, but the people who read my books, that's who I wanted to affect. So that's success for me. I put it out there. I knew that I was heard. People, you know, received what I was saying. That's important to me. Um, Especially as a teacher, sometimes you might have an administration that doesn't hear you. So success to me means you're actually being heard and getting through to people so that they hear you and they understand you even if they don't agree. Mm. That's a good one. Um, so what's one, um, what's one thing you feel like the world needs less of? I think <laughs> it's less it's of the status quo. <laughs> you said less yeah. of the status quo. Yes. Um, it's not working for most of us. Um, I think there's fear behind telling the truth. Um, it's people have sometimes defined themselves by, um, you know, schooling or credentials or whatever else they grew up thinking that you have to do, go to school, go to college, get a good job, whatever, say for your retirement, which those are all great and you should, but you should also do it. Like, don't just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. When, if you, if you're going to take that route, what are you going to do with it? Like, what, what is driving you? What, don't be the status quo because everybody is different. So, you know, be your authentic self. Show the world who you are. Be courageous about it because that, I think, is how you have a better world. 
Like you need the truth to come out and that's hidden behind um, the status quo. What can you, or can you talk to me about a person um, who's maybe had a major impact on you um, kind of on your own personal growth and development and maybe what that impact has looked like? Mm -hmm. uh, definitely my grandmother, um, as I stated, her growing up in, um, seg well, her teaching in segregated Virginia and taking the job so seriously. I remember seeing pictures when I was young of her, uh, you know, dressed very nicely. And I assumed she was going to church because she had on a hat, dress, you know, gloves, but she was going to school to teach. And that's how, you know, respected she, or how much respect she had for the teaching profession. And I just feel like um, she was the type of leader that knew what education could do for a community and just worked tirelessly to help kids, you know, and she had three kids, but to have the kind of love and um, dedication to other people's kids, to raise them as your own, to teach them as your own, that to me is um, remarkable. So definitely my grandmother. What's been a, maybe a resource like, you know, a book, movie, podcast, song, TED Talk, or anything like that that may have been influential um, that you'd like to share with other folks? Yes. So Ava DuVernay has, um, there's a YouTube video from 2013 from an organization called Film Independent, and she was the keynote speaker. And she talks about, I'm calling it not having a pity party, but she, she didn't say that, but that's the essence of what she said. So she talked about stop to stop complaining, to talk to stop um, saying what you don't have. For, so for with her, it was that she didn't go to film school, that she didn't have enough money, that she was a black woman trying to direct a film, um, that, you know, just the list goes on and on. And at some point she had to stop and realize, you know, that's not getting me anywhere. I have to start saying, well, what do I have? And she talks about how she does have friends who can help her. She has a little bit of money that she could use to, to start her first film. She has family that's supportive. So using what she did have and not, I guess, comparing herself to others and saying what she didn't have. And she started saying, I am a filmmaker instead of saying, I want to be a filmmaker or I wish I could be a filmmaker. No, she started saying, I am. And, you know, that affirmation, I guess, claiming it set her on her path and you know she knew she had to get one project out first so she had a goal she completed you know her first film and that you know set her career and because she changed careers also and she was older and she hadn't picked up a camera until the age of 32 you would think that she would have a lot against her and her journey wasn't easy, I'm sure, but um, just the whole idea of her changing her um, perspective propelled her forward because the language that she was telling herself before um, that she what she didn't have was keeping her not having. 
and it's it's a difficult thing to to do and to to see you know to be positive when you're not in that situation so i'm telling you that this you know helped me with my growth and was influential but it's still something that i struggle with now as i'm in transition from leaving teaching to figure out what i'm going to do so i try to um you know change my negative talk sometimes and try to stop complaining about what I don't have. Um, but it's just a helpful resource for me to listen to, you know, again and again, you know, at different points in my, I guess, journey or if I'm having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know exactly what video you're talking about. And that's that, that message is pretty, is, is pretty powerful. Oh yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm, definitely. So as we wrap up, um, the question that I like to ask my guests um, at the end of the interviews is that, you know, at the end of the day, um, what do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be that um, that was the education girl, that Stacy was about schools and education and how can we make the schools better? How can we make schools um, equal? places for everyone to get a proper education regardless of their socioeconomic status. Um, just that Stacy brought light to the education world so that people outside of education can, could see what's happening and even people who were in education and somehow had blinders on as to what the real issues were, um, that those were exposed. That That would be my legacy that I exposed, raise awareness to uh, issues in the education field. Mm. Well, listen, Stacy, thank you. This has been um, a really enlightening conversation. Um, I feel like I got some, um, some research to do um, around some of these topics. <laughs> um, it, it's real. You know, it's, it's real. And I think, you know, to, to, it is. To, to have a conversation with you who've come through, you know, elementary education in that space and, you know, who had a wide, you know, teaching background um, to, you know, for myself, you know, much, most of my educational experience has been in higher ed and understanding that even between both of those worlds, which, which have their differences, um, you can see there's this common thread of, of what that looks like and, and being at a space to kind of address that and, and share your journey in dealing with, um, you know, this whole idea of, um, you know, vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue. Um, I really appreciate you for, for doing that and, and really getting the, di I think it's a dialogue that um, is past due. <laughs> I think it's a big dialogue. Yes. Um, and I, I appreciate you being on the forefront of, of, of having this kind of conversation in this space um, and really being transparent around, you know, how you are feeling um, in the space that you're in. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you do. This um, podcast is important to get information out. Same thing. So to get your voice heard and to hear other people's voices, it's important. Thank you. Very important what, work. Mm -hmm. What's the best way for my listeners to get in contact with you? What's your social media handles? What's your website? Again, this will be posted, but I, I do like my guests to, to talk a little bit about it. <laughs> yes. So all social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, Instagram is Stacy McClam, Stacy S T A C I E M C C L A M, Stacy McClam, and my website is the same, StacyMcClam.com. 
Perfect. So that information will be posted under the podcast episode. Uh, you can click to catch up with Stacy. Check out her book. Please purchase, <laughs> um, and um, keep in touch with the work that she's doing. And make sure you check out her shows. Um, yeah. Again, thank you, Stacy. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Thank you again for your continued support of the Mindful Rebel podcast. I appreciate the listens. I appreciate you vibing with the podcast. Um, If you would like to check out past episodes, please go to any of your favorite podcasts and platforms. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Anchor FM. If you want to learn more about me and what I do as a creative, an educator, and a scholar, you can go to my website. That's seanjmore.com. Again, that's seanjmore.com to learn a little bit more about me and what I do. Uh, Again, thank you for your continued support. Please, any feedback that you have, any potential guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. Let me know what you think. Uh, All feedback is welcome. Thank you.